This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to review Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra Per Aspera. But first, as always, we have news, starting with some comments from Akiva Goldsman, the EP of Strange New Worlds, um, about the Star Trek Legacy spinoff and the idea that everybody really wants it. <laughs> and he said, he basically, he's saying, I, he says, the appetite for it is undeniable. So he's acknowledging what everyone else sees, basically, that the fans have been. I mean, it's it's hard to always say the fans because Star Trek fans aren't monolithic. But no, they're busy arguing. They we are busy arguing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he said he signed the petition. Um, You know, the petition has <laughs> 60,000, 60,000 votes, which is twice as many as the one before Strange New Worlds. And, you know, he was really instrumental in making Strange New Worlds happen. He had a reason, which was that he's really into the Pike story in the, the original series. But that show jumped the line ahead of Section 31, which was a series at the time in development. So I think fan interest did influence that. You know, maybe Akiva behind the scenes. You know, he, he praises Terry. He's not taking any credit for season three, even though he was an executive producer still. And uh, he wants to see this legacy show happen. So I think that's great that he's... Because yeah, he has it, he has more influence than Terry with Paramount and uh, Alex. You know, he's Academy Award winner and all that jazz. So, I mean, here's so he does point out like there's no pitching or development right now of anything because of the writer strike. But let me ask you this: It is a moment to sort of step back and think about things. And do you think that when the strike ends and Paramount is looking again at its choices for Star Trek? that it might they might shift their plans and move legacy ahead of the two projects that have been greenlit. I mean, they're, they're very separate things. I mean, the Academy show, you know, a lot of development work has gone into that. Scripts have been written. It's kind of a passion project of Alex. I think Paramount would have to tell him to shut it down. I don't think he would make that decision. And I'm not sure they would. You know, so far this year, which is the first year Nielsen has been tracking ratings for first half of the year, Paramount has got four shows onto the list. Um, Picard three times and one of the um, Yellowstone shows once. You know, since Picard's been off the air, nothing, no Paramount shows. So the thing to watch in a few weeks, because there's a delay, is will Strange New Worlds just show up on the list as well? And then that would tell Paramount, well, you know, Star Trek fans, they'll just basically watch anything, right? There wasn't anything special about Picard. They'll just watch whatever latest new live action Star Trek we put out. If it doesn't show up, they are going to start maybe having those conversations about, you know, do we do this legacy show? And can we do it in addition to everything or does something have to go? Right. It's a lot of tough choices. <laughs> yeah. Again, if this was 2019, they would just green light it. Right, they'd add it to the pile, but right now they can't do that. And one of the projects has Michelle Yeoh, which is a prestigious thing, and they've announced it. And then the other one is, as you said, a passion project and has been underway for quite some time. And then there's Strange New World. You know, do they not do a fourth season of Strange New Worlds? Do they not do a third season? I mean, I mean, you know, the worst case scenario is they decide they've, there's only room for one more and they swap out legacy for stranger worlds i don't want to see that happen either right you know i'm not sure fans would be excited about that 
the bittersweet victory. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's really hard to judge right now. I mean, Paramount's, you know, they're running out of money. They're selling their studios in New York. They're selling Simon & Schuster. They're selling BET. It's not good for them right now. So there, there's not a lot of cash lying around to um, buy new shows. Yeah. Well, that's why I asked you, because I know you have a good overview of the business side as well as sort of the the Hollywood landscape. I'm going to keep my eye on those Nielsen ratings in a few weeks with Strange New Worlds. I, I hope it makes the list because I hope the show is popular, but it'll be interesting if it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Well, Patrick Stewart has a solution to this problem, but I don't think it's a realistic one. No. <laughs> so he would like there to be a Picard based. And by that, I don't he doesn't mean specifically his character based, but show based movie. He said, not necessarily at all about Jean-Luc Picard, but about all of us. And he said, they've told me not to talk about it. <laughs> right. Well, I think they, they mean don't talk about the legacy show. I mean, they, they he's out there doing interviews for, you know, for your consideration, Emmy stuff. And you know, they have other projects in development. And, and I can imagine that Paramount PR are tired of taking questions about a show that isn't in development. Because Star Trek Legacy now has a momentum in the media. You know, there's articles about it as if it exists. And, right. and, and, you know, the season finale of Picard made it seem like it exists, you know, in the kind of Marvel, you know, way of doing television. A lot of people just assume it does. They're surprised when they hear it isn't, you know, so. Well, I think right. If you watch that last episode, <laughs> it uh, 100% looked like it was teeing up yeah. something else. So, you know, Patrick Stewart would like to do another feature film. I mean, what's interesting about the fan reaction to his commentary is there's not a lot of enthusiasm for a ne another next generation feature film. After season three of Picard, a lot of people are like, you got it. Terry gave you, you know, your three, you know, kind of what adds up to three movies, essentially, if not more. And, you know, I kind of agree with that point of view of. You got it. I just don't see Patrick Stewart starring in, maybe appearing in, but starring in a feature film from Paramount Pictures nine years after Star Trek Beyond. This is what they do. Now, what I would like to see is for them to do the legacy TV show, do a TV movie, streaming movie. So use Patrick Stewart's idea to have it be a launching pad for the legacy TV show and have it be a streaming movie. It would have to probably come after the Section 31 movie. Right. So so it'd probably be 2025, 26, maybe. The interesting thing is like when, before we even saw season three, like Terry was already talking about how this is the send off that that crew deserved, that they didn't get. And then in this interview where Patrick talked about this, which was him and LeVar Burton having a very wonderful conversation, which is, you should just go watch it because it's fun to watch everybody listening. But I mean, LeVar Burton said that they couldn't have gone out in a better moment for everybody anyway. So they got their ending. Like they played it up. Here's the ending they deserved. And then they gave us the ending. Yeah. It just, it can, it raises a lot of questions and thoughts about. Any one of those actors and characters could appear in future things. I just don't see them appearing together as the next generation you know, in the way they did in the season finale, they did keep the Enterprise D bridge. So they've got that in their back pocket. But you know, I, for feature films, I've I've been clear. I want to see another Kelvin movie. And if not that, 
than something totally new, new cast, new story, maybe Kelvin next gen, maybe new universe, maybe something else in the prime universe. I don't know. A good, solid, big budget, maybe not crazy big, but solid Star Trek feature film. Get that franchise going again at Paramount. You know, they just released another Transformers movie. They've got a couple of Mission Impossible movies going. It's time to get Star Trek back in their pipeline like it used to be. Says Tony. You heard it here first. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the execs at Paramount are <laughs> listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, let me write that okay, down. Yep. And what yep. was it you wanted to see? Okay, check. Got it. Yeah. Done it. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Robbins, JJ Abrams, get your act together. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, um, you know, there's more, there's a lot more for your consideration stuff out there. Emmy voting is happening. Dave Blast put out this great presentation that, you know, was shared with Emmy voters about the production design. That's like amazing. And there's great interviews. There's this great LA Times interview where Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren, Diego Luna, a bunch of people just sit around and talk. Um, the girl from The Last of Us, I forget her name. It's really Watching her and Patrick talking to each other, it's just, it's fun interview, you know, and there's a oh, lot of stuff like that. I need like to that. check it out. I have not had a chance yet. Let's switch to, most of the news this week is really in the licensed merchandise realm, some of which was announced, as we suspected, on Captain Picard Day. Like, we're getting Picard Season 3 on Blu-ray and DVD coming in September. September 5th, to be precise, uh, with special features, all the stuff you're used to seeing. I feel like the gag reel will be especially fun with this one. Um, deleted scenes, commentary, uh, but no word on a 4K version. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because Strange New World Season 1 is coming out in 4K. All the movies have now been released in 4K. TV shows in 4K is rare, but it seems to me that it's kind of it's, a no brainer. Yeah, it's worth it. There's a petition going uh, the, the digital bit site is trying to get, you know, some people are clamoring for it. If there was a market and they could make money, it's not like Paramount doesn't like making money. Every, they, you know, they want to make money. So if they determine there's enough demand for it, I'm sure they'll do it. So hopefully there is. They're also going to release all three seasons as a separate box set. So season three is going to come Blu-ray, DVD, Steelbook, which is just fancy packaging for the Blu-ray. And then. They're going to do a three-season box set of Picard on DVD and Blu-ray. But then they're doing this crazy thing called the Picard Legacy Collection. And it's this huge box with, it's got dozens of discs in it. It's every season of Next Gen, every season of Picard, all the movies. And then just a bunch of, like, swag. There's coasters and a book and, you know, all sorts of stuff in there. Coasters? Wow! it's going to be a limited edition like that special limited edition of the motion picture they put out last year which sold out like immediately although this is going to definitely be more expensive because it's there's a lot more content it feels like it'll be pretty gorgeous and something i would want to have there's another picard related but not announced on picard day a trek movie got an exclusive announcement of a new comic book this week called Star Trek Picard's Academy. It's a series about young Jean-Luc Picard at the Academy. Um, it's written by a popular author named Sam Maggs, who she's done just a little short story in IDW Comics before, but is super excited to write about um, what she 
calls um, a cool teen Picard with luscious hair <laughs> and his weirdo group of kind of friends at uh, Starfleet Academy. It's so funny. I've seen some people talking about this, which is like how, you know, Kirk was this super nerd who evolved into sort of a cowboy and Picard was like this crazy, you know, rogue kind of guy who became very, you know, a little more uptight. It is, it's an interesting parallel for yeah, sure. Yeah. The art is fun. It's kind of an anime style. So, you know, I'm, I don't know if it's going to be funny like the Lower Deck series, but there seems to be a wink and a nod in this. So that's a, that's coming in September as uh, issue one. The last bit of licensed news is a old book is coming back as an audio book. Very excited about this book that was released in the year 2000 called A Stitch in Time, DS9 book. Written by Andrew Robinson, which is kind of unusual. Um, so the character, so it's all about Garrick and his backstory. And the actor behind Garrick wrote the book. And it's been, it, the fans love it. It's great backstory about Garrick. And now he's going to be narrating an audiobook for it. Fans have been asking for this for a long time. I mean, for a couple of years now, I've seen fans online saying, is there going to be an audiobook? I wish there would. You should do one. And he was always like, well, if they want one, I guess they'll call. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this has been leaked before, but it's not been officially announced. Um, and the cover's been released. And it's coming in August. So, you know, it's done, basically. And, and I'm excited because I'm a huge fan of audiobooks in general. This is unabridged, which is great. But the you know, the glory days of Star Trek audiobooks, there were all these fun, even though they were abridged, audiobooks narrated by the actors. Uh, Duin and Takei and Frakes and you know, Nimoy did some. Shatner did all of his own books, of course. <laughs> and it's just, you know, uh, we haven't seen that in a long time. This is a one-off, though, but uh, it's still a, a fun to return to classic Star Trek audiobooks narrated by one of the actual actors. And nice for uh, Deep Space Nine to get some attention. Some well-deserved attention. It is the 30th anniversary. Yep. Are we done? We can, we can now start talking Strange New World stuff, right? Yeah, I think we should. So, you know, last week we had talked about the interview that you did with Akiva and Henry talking about it, and that interview is now up on the site. So one thing that's interesting is, you know, we had talked about Akiva's thoughts on canon. And boy, did people on our site have a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah. And on, and on social media, when he said, you know, storytelling trumps canon, you know, I was kind of surprised that he I mean, I kind of knew that. Knew we that all that's... knew that. We all knew that. And but this time he's actually saying it and not pretending. Even fans who you know, like me aren't too persnickety about this and these little things it just seems a bit cavalier and he said similar things in the past i mean i was just praising akiva for his support of legacy but now i get the concern here and well because i think the biggest issue and the thing that people are talking about a lot is he chose to do a prequel like there are a lot of ways to do Star Trek without having to be so locked into canon. And he chose a particularly dicey one and then is populating it with specific things that we will come to see in the original series. And it's like, well, if 
you would do that because you're interested in fulfilling the canon, but he seems to not be interested in that. We already saw shades of this in season one, but nothing that I would say is, you know, the there's the Gorn, and this was about the Gorn specifically, you know, so the Gorn is a clear violation. But I think the show's been pretty good about most other things. This episode we're about to talk about, I think, had lots of nice nods to canon. Oh, no, this was the, I thought this, they did the best job. We'll get into it in the review. But of all the times they found ways to nod to canon without stomping on it or throwing it in the air or screaming about it, I thought this was the the best. You know, and I thought episode one, so, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is, let's see what happens outside of the Gorn. Let's, you know, the, the. The way they treat the Gorn is a given. They're just the, they they've created a new species and they've called them the Gorn. But is this going to extend to other things? Let's wait and see. I'm well, a little concerned about how they treat Kirk. the chapel chapel. Yeah, Kirk stuff, the chapel and Spock stuff and to Pring, you know, is coming because you and I haven't watched past episode two. Right. Or have you jumped ahead? I, I have jumped not ahead. jumped ahead. I have not jumped ahead. But you know, I think. That it's all going to be, I think it's just up for grabs. I don't think, I mean, already, I think that all those things you mentioned have already broken canon. So what other strange point of clarification? So in our interview, we talked about Pike you know, not being in episode one, and they talked about the storytelling reasons, you know, and changing things up. Um, our friends at the Seventh Rule podcast with Sirach Lofton interviewed Chris Fisher, who's producing director and produced that episode or directed that episode. And he said, well, it actually works out that Anson Mount said he couldn't be there for the first episode because he and his wife just had a baby. Right. So that's the reason. (laughs) (laughs) So when you were like, and is that a shift in the way you're going to tell stories? And they're like, not really. And it's like, they could have just said, well, he had a baby. (laughs) I assume they filmed his brief scene. You know, at some time that worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, later, you know, while they yeah. were doing episode two or whatever. Yeah, um, that's nice. He needed to be with his baby, his very yeah. cute baby. Yeah. So one other thing is uh, there's a bit more information about the character Pelia from a couple of interviews. She and Henry say that Pelia is, quote, thousands of years old. Thousands. Right. Yeah, and they all are all of the um, That's lanthanites. Crazy. So, but he also he said that th- th- they came to this from the perspective of well, we had Hammer in season one. He had this whole thing about his mortality and how that gave him purpose and all that. And the exact quote is, um, "What would be the flip of that? Here's someone who never really has to face their mortality." I mean, does immort- immortality? Does that mean that you can survive any? Does that just mean you live forever and you don't die of natural causes and you don't get illnesses? Like if someone stabs you or shoots you with a facer, you're still dead. Well, I don't. Unless know. you're like Flint, right? Like so, everybody's talking about Flint from the original series. He's. I think he said he couldn't die. Yeah, even but he was human. She described it as a tribe. So there is speculation going on here, but I think Lanthanites aren't humans who are different. I think they are aliens yep and i guess they arrived on earth and then just hung out for thousands of years sure but if she's immortal that that you know creates something even you know another layer to her certainly but thousands of years is different than yeah vulcans can live for like two or three hundred years or something like that this is 
on a whole new level. Yeah, I mean, Guinan level was like what under a thousand years. What's funny is I've seen some to know they should have just made her an El Alurian like Guinan, but here I applaud them. Like you know, we have an opportunity to create a new race, yeah. so you know, let them create Star Trek canon. Let them introduce new species. Let's applaud them when they do that. That's what I want them to do. That's, that makes me happy. <laughs> Invent something new and then you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. And she's terrific. Yeah. You know, she really does. They talked about how she brings a different energy, which she absolutely does. And the cast members who've talked about working her with her are saying that. And I love that she, in her interview, just talked about how handsome Ethan Peck is. She said something like, and that doesn't hurt or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's at that age where she could just say anything, right? Yes. And it's great. Yes. So let's talk about another fine Latin title in Star Trek, Ad Astra Per Aspera. Okay. Why don't you start us off? Uh, what did you think? I thought it was a really good episode, actually. It didn't, I didn't have to be nervous watching it. I, I, I actually did think there were a couple of odd visual choices, which we will get into, but I thought it was an, and it had some holes for me, but the idea of looking at this rule of Starfleet, doing it through a trial, I love a good Star Trek courtroom episode, and they had some very beautiful nods to Court Martial, which is a fantastic episode of the original series, and my favorite scenes actually were the ones that took place outside of the courtroom in this one, but it had a lot of good stuff in it. How about you? Yeah, it was good. Um, it, 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 once you settle in and know you're in a courtroom episode, you know, there's going to be a lot of speechifying. It's a different vibe. You know, you're not going to don't say, oh, where's all the action and all, you know, that's not what this is about. I still think, you know, regardless of Anson Mount's wonderful new baby, this is better to do this as episode two. Yep. You know, because of that, but it was a solid courtroom episode. I think, you know, I don't know when you want to get into this. Some of the courtroom scenes were a bit heavy handed and a bit then again, kind. <laughs> I mean, now Drumhead was heavy handed. This is not anything new for Star Trek to get heavy handed. They were mixing their allegories. You know, are the LR, you know, are the Illyrian space Jews or are they space gays? You know, it's that was a little unclear, or maybe they're both, perhaps. Um, you know, just well, they listed. They basically listed all the options, in right. a way. <laughs> you know, just in case you missed the message. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed the episode. It was, you know, great guest star, a strong performance from from Rebecca Romain, who, you know, we've always said doesn't get enough to do on the show, and this this was all about her. She was really good in this episode, and we just learned a lot more about her character and her backstory, her relationship to Pike, her relationship to everyone, but mostly Pike, Lon, and April, actually. We learned a yeah, lot April. about April. I feel like Lon, we knew all that stuff. Yeah, so. we learned a little. Well, there's a side note. I'm just going to pick up on the side note. Do it. So we learned that Lon is still genetic, is genetically modified, but, you know, or carries, carries the modifications of Khan in her. A and she's worried that she's going to hulk out and do evil things. Right. Because we haven't really seen, you know, we've seen her not do anything superhuman yet, except for out drinking a, a Klingon. Right. Have we seen her do anything in season one that you'd go, that's impossible? 
Well, she know. has the worst back, the most tragic backstory of everybody. Yeah. The yeah. most vicious, awful, insane backstory. But we haven't seen her show off any special abilities. No super strength, nothing like that. The question is, is she hiding that? Or I think we're going to be exploring that. Um, Khan's name, of course, came up during the, the trial. But this, is, I think, was the more important character piece of it. But a lot of stuff about how, you know, Una was on April's ship um, and April sponsored her at the Academy. Then Pike met her at the Academy. He was giving a speech to the Academy and she was a cadet. So they go back way back. Yeah. You know, I think these characters are a lot richer now, they feel to me. And that's the the good thing about forget that this is a courtroom episode. This is kind of a quiet character focused episode. And so there's just a lot of character development all around. Mabenga even got an interesting bit of character development in a joke scene. The scene that was in my the favorite lounge. scene of the entire episode. I'll be honest. Yeah. So Ortegas is being Ortegas. You know, and she's <laughs> she's doing the voices. She's watching Spock talk to the Vulcan Jag guy. Like, wasn't he the? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he's the Jag guy. And and she, and she just starts imitating what she thinks they're saying, which is very which was funny just by itself. Yeah. And very in character with who she is. And then Mabenga jumps in with exactly what you it was so great I thought because he's saying, "No, no, no, I can tell they hate each other." <laughs> yeah. It's, she thought he was joking. Right. Spock takes it to the next level and says, "I'm sorry you had to witness my outburst." So <laughs> I mean, I actually would have liked to have heard their conversation, but I think to for the joke, they they had to just see it from afar. And the, I just it was a great scene. I loved it. I have two favorite scenes, and that's one of them. But it also, as we said last week, shows that Mabenga has a special understanding of Vulcans. Yep. So he's a rigid character. Yeah. Even though this episode had nothing to do with him. He was on the stand for a bit and said some nice things. He talked about her discretion and stuff. He didn't, you know, I guess it's still a secret. To Starfleet, what he did with his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> so well, because that raises a lot of moral questions. Yeah, but he talked about it obtusely by talking about her, you know, her empathy and discretion. Right. Because she was really cool to him about that. Perhaps cooler than she should have been. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, <you> know, <laughs> mo- mostly because she had her own little secret. Right. Um, you know, it's it is an interesting episode for. Pike, though, in that he was instrumental in getting the lawyer. So let me ask you a question, because there's something they brought in this lawyer character, civil rights lawyer. Another Star Trek show would have had Captain Pike defend her. That's kind of the standard, right? For these things, you know, is that you would have either Captain Pike or someone else on the crew. I mean, I'm thinking I feel like it took its biggest inspiration from Court Martial, which didn't do that. That's true. Sorry, man. But we have seen that. I guess the question is, did you even see that as an option to have Pike be play a more prominent role as her defense attorney? Well, I didn't. I think it was important because this this attorney was chosen for a reason. She had a connection to her that we learned more and more about as the episode unfolded. So I don't think that Pike could have done that. And honestly, with the stakes so high, you want a real lawyer. And she, I think, embodies a civil rights attorney very well. 
her whole gripe, she's basically has a very anti-Federation gripe. This is one of those episodes where the phrase Starfleet and Federation gets conflated. And I just, you know, it pisses me off, but I'm just beyond that. Yeah, you, you have know? to take a deep <laughs> breath and just be like, okay. <sighs> sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they don't. I just ignore it. No, but I, I mean, she was great. I have one issue with her that wasn't about her acting or her character, but I did think they were extraordinarily uncreative in how they chose to dress her. And I think they dressed her like she was in an episode of Ally McBeal. Like they dressed her like a 90s lawyer show. Like let's give her the spike, the spiked heels, which I do have a particular thing about spiked heels and I don't understand why they would exist in the future. And I know that's like my particular thing that I, I find them insane. But I just thought, why not do something creative that isn't a form-fitting, tight dress that looks like she's going to be on, you know, one of those legal shows? Like, why not do something else? I liked her hover chair. That was fun in her office. But I just found the whole thing. I just thought, do something different. Think outside the box of what you think a lawyer should look like on a TV show. I guess they're just saying they don't want you looking at the outfit. They just want the outfit to just say lawyer. Oh, no. I was looking at the outfit, the outfit, all the outfits. I liked, I mean, there was one like asymmetrical sleeve design that was sort of fun. I liked that better. But especially her first, I just, there was just something about it that I thought she, she, you could just plop her into any of those old shows and she would that's, just look that's like true. one of them. And that, and it, I just, it's not that it was wrong and bad, but it just was an, it was a missed opportunity. The dress uniforms, on the other hand, were I loved fantastic. Them. Loved and them. Straight out of court martial. Yep. I mean, just beyond you know the uniforms and the court itself. Even though, you know, <laughs> once again they they borrowed from Star Trek Discovery and they took Starfleet HQ and they add some wood paneling. Sure. And called it a courtroom. Great, but I, I think it looked good and every you know, but everything the little things. I love the little lie detector thing. I know, me too. That was nice. And the the other nods, like that the big book. And yeah. the and the way that you know what was nice about the way they did the book was they they just here's the book. They didn't have a whole thing like just like I borrowed I was so nervous they're gonna say I borrowed it from Samuel T. Cogley. Oh they, I yeah, I know? was <laughs> and I was so happy that they were just like, it's a nod for people who know, and if you don't know, it's fine. And I thought that was beautifully done. A plus on the book. I'm curious what lawyers will think of this episode because there's a lot of interesting legal proceeding stuff. You know, that whole thing about the fruit from a poisonous tree that's like a real thing. So I, I liked that they didn't overly dramatize the courtroom proceedings as a lot of those 90s TV shows did. But I'm curious what like a real lawyer would say about all this. I also thought that the argument that was missing in all that, they should have given us valid reasons for Starfleet having that rule besides just saying because of the eugenics wars. Like, make me actually think twice about it instead of make it so clear that, like, it's a bad law. I mean, it is a bad law, but I would have liked to have had somebody advocate for why it was still really important to keep, to make an argument for it rather than just a statement. That argument was actually made a couple of times the laws need to stand for a reason because it's all, you know, eugenics wars equals bad. Therefore, genetically modified equals bad. I guess that's my complaint. It, exactly. That's it. Right. Like, tell me, make me feel like, yeah, it is bad. 
Don't just tell me it's bad. Tell me why it's bad. To me, it is a more interesting argument. That's what Nira, the civil rights attorney, was arguing against the whole time was that Illyrians show that it's not so bad. And this this gets into I'm when things got heavy handed, I felt is when they start describing this federation colony. So I guess the question is, what exactly is a federation colony? Because they start describing as they start running through things that happened on this colony, Mm -hmm. they were basically running through 1930s Germany, right? All, all the tropes, the ghettos, stuff painted on the door, people being beaten up and nobody doing anything about it. Yeah. The, 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 the the Nuremberg laws, all of it were, you know, the, 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 you know, cause they wouldn't serve them. They had to find doctor, all that whole stuff. Yeah. And, I was thinking this is a federation colony. Yeah. Because the whole case kind of revolved around, yeah, where she grew up sucked. But is that really how a federation colony would run? Because the whole case revolved around she was in such horrific conditions that she had to seek asylum. So -hmm. they had, so we have to believe a federation colony essentially devolved into. Nazi Germany. And I'm that's the thing that I'm having the hardest thing. Unless that this is there's something special about this colony and it's not really operating under Federation law. Because that I just can't see how that could possibly exist. I agree. Yeah, you know, in the end, the technicality is, well, yeah, she was a refugee. And then but then that's the weird thing. It's like it it can't really be part of the Federation because how could you seek asylum within the Federation? From a Federation colony. That's like saying, I'm seeking asylum from Delaware, you know, in California. You know? <laughs> they shouldn't have made it a Federation colony. That was the easy way out of that. Because, there, you know, there was an interesting parallel when they start talking about being who you are and not hiding who you are and being open about who you are. That is a modern allegory that we could all kind of get. I just think they kind of went a little too Nazi on this one is by. Well, they and they also just spell it out in a way that, you know, should you have any doubt about what they're talking about? (laughs) They they use contemporary language to say it instead of putting it in flouncy, fun Starfleet language. Exactly. And what they didn't say. So we know that Una turned herself in because she was tired of hiding, but they didn't really get into what the turning point was for her like after all those years of hiding what changed why now well she's i think she said something to the effect of she was just tired of hiding she wanted to um be able be able to be herself um and show the world show the world that an illyrian can serve openly in Starfleet. And this, you know, it's a don't ask, don't tell kind of metaphor there, right? Where she wants to serve openly as an Illyrian to show everyone that there's no problem with that. And I mean, maybe she didn't bring up all of the events that did, because I think we saw some of the events that triggered it last season, because she had to reveal who she was, because she helped cure the whole crew because of who she is. Right. That's what kicked this all off. Right. And Lon said Lon was concerned she outed her because she wrote she made a personal log after that event 
Um, but it sounds like Una just told Starfleet. Right. But I guess she probably told them closer to the season finale. So it was a little bit later because she would have been arrested pretty quickly. What's interesting is when, you know, when she's talking to the lawyer early on, Una says someone reported on me, you know, someone revealed this to Starfleet. Why was she hiding that fact from her lawyer? Yeah. I, I don't know why she was hiding it. I do not know. I mean, it, 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 cause it, it created a little mystery within the episode. Was it Lon? Was it someone else who leaked it? It so that we could have this big reveal. It was her. And of course her leaking it, her telling Starfleet was the thing, the linchpin of her essentially seeking asylum. Right. That's what got her off. So yeah, I don't know. There's a a few holes here and there. I did very much like the scene where La'an went to Uhura and said, I need to see everybody's personal logs. And Uhura's like, no, you don't. And she's saying, I'm ordering you to do it. And Uhura goes, you're, that's not a good idea. And there's a reason that you're not allowed to do that. And you're not allowed to do that. And I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It's an illegal order. I'm not allowed. Yeah. I thought that was a great scene. And because she also did it because she was helping Lon, saying, like, this is this would be bad for you, too. But it, it, Lon has it, you know, because she's very anguished in this episode. and it, <laughs> She's always very anguished. But yes, she was given that bit of freedom, you know, later when Nira says to her that it's OK to be you. You know, so, yeah. so Lon is kind of going through some of the same things that Una's been going through, hiding who she is. Even though everyone knows she's... I was going to say, hard to hide when your last name is Noonien Singh. But she's hiding that she still has something in her. Although, wouldn't Starfleet check on that? Yes. Maybe there's something that they obviously haven't found. I I hope she doesn't become superpowered. That would be... I don't think we need that. But maybe every once in a while she does something extraordinary. No, I agree. I mean, they named her that for a reason. So we know it's going to come up. Again. I, but I thought it was fine here. They're not being terrible about it here. No, I liked, again, that there was a good, subtle stuff in here. And her, I just, I really liked when she was terrified she was the one who'd spilled the beans. I thought all her stuff was really good in this episode. What do you feel about the Pike and Battelle relationships? There was a bit of that. If anything, in this episode, we got more of them together, which Anson Mount talked about in my interview with him that that's a big deal this season is his relationship with her i'm gonna be honest i just don't find her that interesting she doesn't do much for me like she was fine and she fulfilled the role she was there to fulfill which was the reluctant sympathetic prosecutor right Um, eventually the vulcan admiral had to admonish her for not getting the information he wanted which is he wanted to go after pike right he nudges her to do something in one case, and then later he kind of takes over. Yeah, they had him set up as the heavy, you know, and I thought he did a good job of playing that. And you could see that, you know, in the end, she was happy, Battelle, that things were working out um, for Una. And she was doing her job. Although Battelle could have got Una a better, I mean, the kind of feckless oh. uh, <laughs> lawyer that, because uh, yeah, Jags. Take the deal, take the deal. Like, oh, yeah. great. And then Una goes, well, how can he be my lawyer if he works for you? I'm like, yeah, good point. Well. I mean, I know uh, that's how it works. That is how it works. That, that is, is how, it, how works. it works. But it was very clear in that, that he was not 
really there to represent her. Like, well, just ask Tom Cruise and a few good men. You know, the, the defense lawyer, <laughs> JAG lawyer can do a good job. Anyway, but I, I you know, the, the uh, that guy, I mean, they were just setting it up. So we really need this lawyer because he is the worst. Right. <laughs> he really was the worst. And I liked Pike's journey to go find the lawyer. I liked how stubborn he was and persisting. I liked him going to a planet where he had to wear a mask because they don't usually do that. So that was nice. It looked kind of like a sleep apnea mask, but (laughs) (laughs) but I liked it. And then I, you know, I'm just going to say this perhaps inappropriate thing, but damn, he was so cute in this episode, like especially (laughs) in those scenes in the lawyer's office, I was like, he is just irresistible physically. Like, just, whoo! It was a hot Pike episode, in my opinion. So that planet was all Illyrians. Um, Nira was an Illyrian. Her receptionist was an Illyrian. They made it sound like Illyrians that can pass for human are rare, but everyone looked. I didn't get rare. I just got some could and some couldn't. But I didn't see anyone on that planet that was... Who couldn't. Yeah, just because you can breathe a toxic atmosphere doesn't become apparent when you're not breathing it. Well, maybe they have abilities that come out at certain moments, like the healing, the glowing healing thing. Like like they, you know, glow in the dark? Yes. Here's a, this is an interesting Pike-Una question, because they do have this long relationship. And then at the very end, when the two of them are left alone in the transporter room, there's like, he initiates this hug that immediately makes him like weirdly uncomfortable and then he kind of like you know yeah that was a like weird hits her on the arm like you know gives her a little arm squeeze or something after like he hugged her and then he felt something he thought maybe he shouldn't have and then he created some distance and was trying to be professional it was just a weird there was something up in that moment i think it's important for him that they have a professional relationship Maybe he just felt he was being too personal, not romantic, but just, you know, non-professional. And so he, you know, switched back to, you know, giving her a tap on the arm. Oh, but he's like in there cooking and having people chop things. I mean, that hasn't been a a particular line. That's more of like a a Picard line he didn't always cross. But Pike isn't like that. Pike's like Mr. Gregarious, Mr. Friendly. He seems very comfortable with all that stuff. But hugging, it's just a special, I don't know, I haven't seen him hug anyone else on the show, uh, except for his romantic partners. But has he hugged anyone on the show before? And I have not been clocking his hugs, and I don't know if he had a big reason for hugs, but there was just something in that moment that I was that I was like, what's that? I thought the, the round of applause was a little much. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> a little awkward. Yeah, it like, also sounded like it came from a lot more people than were actually in that room. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't seem necessary. Uh, but you know, she was a good lawyer, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, she was a good lawyer. <laughs> and in terms of the heavy handed stuff, that some of it, what did work for me, which I liked, was all the talk about when she saw when Una saw the Starfleet crew. Because yeah. that's what Star Trek is about. And I liked that. I was like, yes, bring it. Bring it home, baby. Like all that stuff. And the, the key line for me was Starfleet isn't perfect, but it strives to be. And I believe it could be. Yeah. And I feel I was very happy to hear those lines spoken on this show because I said, OK, somebody gets it. 
Yeah, the, the, the message of diversity is strong and uh, important, and that's what Star Trek is all about, which is why I, again, think that they could have stuck with the diversity message and other allegories without going full on Nazi colony. But I guess they needed that to create the need for the asylum, which is also a hot, hot topic. Right. I just... But I think what you're saying, and I agree with you, if that's what you're saying, is that they could have done it in a more interesting alien way. Like, just yeah. pick something else that doesn't immediately give you your Earth history connection. Yeah, but I still enjoyed the episode. And, you know, I, I think uh, we've had two episodes reuniting the crew. So we've everyone's back together, ready to go off and explore the galaxy. Yeah. one. I have one little weird nitpick thing if I may, which is that there were a couple of moments of very weird framing of the shots. And one of them is when Pike is sitting in the lawyer's office and Nira's office, and they frame him between these two art sculptures. So they look like these big wings were coming out of his shoulders. (laughs) It was like so distracting to me. (laughs) And there are a couple of things like that where they put someone like right in the middle of something so that it was just just weirdly dramatic in an odd and distracting way. <laughs> it's such a challenge for an episode like this because for most of the episode, people are sitting and talking. I'm fine with that, but I get uh, not everybody is. They mixed things up. I don't know if this was for practical reasons. It probably was practical reasons, but they had the the crew on the ship watching the trial via a screen. So they allowed them to do a lot more cuts where they did a lot more reaction shots. They go to the ship, then they go to the trial room, back and forth. Because you'd think Pike would be in the room with Una. Yeah, no kidding. Closed proceedings or something. I don't know. Keep him out of there? I don't know. But you'd think you'd want everybody there. I agree. And look, they made an effort to throw in some other sets. So they had Pike cooking for three seconds when she came in to yell at him. And I, I just can't get over his gigantic quarters. Well, you know, Una's got Una's got huge Una's quarters too. Huge, and Spock's <laughs> are big too. I, it just seems wildly impractical to have such giant quarters on a starship. But okay, but anyway, they did they did try and change things up by using some different sets here and there. Although we haven't se- have we seen any new sets this season? I guess the lounge is different than what they did last season, which was all shot on the the volume, um, the AR set. They had a kind of restaurant set. The, the scenes in the kind of lounge area, I, I don't think are shot in the AR set. I think that's a new set they built. I think so, too. Which is, yeah, I mean, why, if you're doing a restaurant thing, why drag everyone over to the AR wall and build this restaurant yeah, set? Yeah, that, you can just have a restaurant. Yeah. A space restaurant is still a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> I don't you know, they haven't given it a name, but it's their 10 forward or whatever. You know, right. Their galley. It doesn't have a catchphrase either. <laughs> doesn't doesn't need one. Doesn't need um, one. Um, I thought the music was great, as always. Yes. And they really crank it up in the, you're supposed to feel emotional now because this is a good speech now, emotion music. But there were other times where I thought they had a good balance of like when you notice it and when it's just sort of enhancing what's going on. So I liked and a, and a little bit of over the top music is a nice nod to the original series, which was very over the top with its music. Oh, yeah. The, the music was very active. I'm not yeah, dismissing I like, it. That I way. like it. And did you notice uh, who played the Tellerite? Yes. Uh, Linus. 
Yes, David Benjamin Tomlinson was the Tellerite. He didn't really say anything. Mostly the human judge said everything. I think the Vulcan judge said a little bit. I would have, once you've got a Tellerite, give them something to do. That's what I say. Not just because of the makeup, but because they're interesting. Especially because there were some confrontational moments. The lawyer was trying to provoke them at times on purpose for because it worked for her case because she right. she kind of went in hot essentially putting starfleet on trial and the federation on trial and she had an agenda she told una from the very beginning i'm doing this for me yeah that's why i was like why is una mad at her she told her she said that's why i'm doing this i'm not doing this for you i'm doing this for me and then it was like you weren't doing this for me as if this was a new piece of information and you know she had a point which everyone has made about the prime directive apparently april like every other starfleet <laughs> yes, captain considers great. it the prime suggestion not the prime directive i mean it was before they called it the prime directive but it was still general order number 1 um yeah. she mentions it she says so much so that you call it the prime directive that was a great i thought well, that was i think a she great said scene. you now call it the prime directive yes, yes she did but that was a great scene and a, and good lawyering although you know as noted by everyone watching not good for una's case it was she was using it as a soapbox a grandstand i guess the question is were these perce- i assume this is closed circuit between the ship this wasn't broadcast to everyone and the interesting question is like at the beginning like una kept saying that starfleet wants to the reason they were going to dismiss the charges was because they were going to or not dismiss they were going to discharge her dishonorable discharge no charges because she said they wanted to keep it secret but obviously they can't keep it secret now no the question is yeah we don't know how transparent court marshals are in in starfleet well, there were a lot of people involved, enough people involved that it would be pretty hard to contain that. Yeah. That's yeah, what you, I think. You, you imagine that FNN covered the trial on there. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Know. And I also was curious about like when they, when she decided she wasn't going to go for what they wanted, like 20 years locking someone up in a penal colony for 20 years who does not pose a threat to anybody seems very barbaric and strange. If you don't take a plea deal and you force prosecutors to go to court, they are going to try to throw the book at you. Although that being, you know, but pace. it's still Starfleet. It's still the Federation. And that just seemed insane. Yeah. And, you know, they added counts of sedition. sedition. Yeah. They added sedition. counts of sedition, which I think a lawyer would say, no matter what they said in this case, it's not sedition, but based on the definition of sedition, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play a lawyer on TV, but I don't think this, I don't think any, by any stretch of what she did is sedition or anything like it. It's, you know, she was violating, you know, Starfleet codes and lying. That is illegal for sure within uh, any given military. Yeah, it would get you booted out of Starfleet. Well, it would get you booted and some prison time, you know, in like, if, if, if this were a, well, but if this were an episode of. in In a more enlightened future. I would think that prison, you would think more carefully about who you send to prison. Well, they, they, they you know, it's, uh, I'm sure it's a nice prison. Um, you know, it's it's more <laughs> a rehabilitation thing. You know, in the end, they probably would have given her exile or something. Who knows? Right. Um, the point is her demanding a trial ramped up the stakes. That was all it was supposed to be. Yep. Yeah, which it did. Uh, because the jerk Vulcan admiral decided to insert himself because – 
Battelle was trying to kind of fly into the radar and just get this case. You know, I mean, Una was seeing it as them trying to sweep it under the rug. But I think Battelle saying she actually made that happen. Yeah, she was trying to help. She was. Yeah, she was. I know I kept wondering if that Vulcan, that angry, mean Vulcan guy was maybe maybe he was one of the Vulcans who was really mad that Spock didn't go to the Vulcan Science Academy and he just hates Spock and his crew. I don't know. I wanted to, I wanted some backstory on that guy. Well, Spock hate, hates this guy. Right, so they, they hate they, each other. And he called him a former colleague of his father's. Yeah. So there is there is some something there. Yeah. I wanted to know what it was. I was interested. Maybe we'll see it later in the season. I doubt it, but maybe. Maybe in the series, um, this guy will come back and right. be a jerk over something else. That's obviously his role. Just to be a jerk. Yes. <laughs> to be a Vulcan jerk. But I will say, despite my nitpicks, and I seem to have even more than I realized, I still really enjoyed the episode and thought overall it was it was good. In the pantheon of Star Trek courtroom episodes, this isn't Measure of a Man, but you know, I'd say it's certainly up there with author, author, and well, I mean, the the, the you know the it really wasn't a full on courtroom episode because we really didn't get the legal proceedings, but this was also dealt with on DS9 with Dr. Bashir, I presume uh, but that we didn't really get a nice courtroom scene. We just got a, right. a, a judge, a judgment at the end. Right. Um, so that doesn't count. But uh, what do you think? Like, uh, you know, drumhead. I think this is, you know, in the zone. Mm, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, where, where would you? Uh... I mean, I don't know. I need a list. I do think we should do a list of courtroom episodes on the site. That would be fun. Not necessarily ranked, but just a list to pull them all together listicle but i don't i mean you know i guess i'd need to see them all lined up but mid it was you know mid mid, mid. okay that's what my teenager calls things mid that's <laughs> mid i mean it's hard to top court martial just because it was the first right i love i just love it well or the so menagerie good. you know court martial is just a longtime favorite of mine and that defense was cr- i mean that was such a gimmick at the end of that episode it was a ridiculous showy bizarre gimmick that saved the day more so than in this one. Yeah. Like with the microphone and the heartbeats and the drama and I'm eliminating them one by one and he's still alive. Like <laughs> spoiler alert, everybody. But, um, <laughs> you know, and I loved it. I soaked it all up, but a lot of that was, was Alicia cook jr. Was incredible. And that character, Samuel Cogley was great. I mean, Nero was a great character also. And that yeah. I felt was like a nod in a way, like, let's get someone who's got a lot of energy and seems different from other people. And so I like that choice. So I think we've we've covered it, though. Yeah. Two good episodes. I think I liked last week's episode more than other people did. You know, shoot me. Uh, you can I like, like things. It's good to like things. <laughs> OK. And uh, I liked this one. I, 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 that I, it did get too heavy-handed. I, I'm curious what fans are going to think about that. Um, but maybe that's just all part of Star Trek tradition. It'll be the mix. You'll have, you know, some people saying, "I'm so glad they said all that and we needed it," and other people saying, "You know, why do they have to hit us over the head?" Yeah, the usual shenanigans. But let's wrap <laughs> things up with our bits of the week. Why don't you start? I'm going to mention a brand new podcast. It's a Star Trek podcast called Trek Politics with Mary L. Trump and Bob Seska. Mary Trump is a political commentator and the niece of a certain 
famous figure. And Bob Seska is a political podcaster, and they've launched this new podcast all about Star Trek and politics. But it's not really contemporary politics. It's politics within certain episodes. And it's it's good. I've listened to the first episode so far. Terry Metalis is a guest. They get into some interesting stuff in there about season three. And uh, Jerry Ryan is the guest on the second episode, which I haven't listened to yet. But you listened to the first one. Yes, and enjoyed it. Okay. But I, you know, I love Star Trek. I love politics. So, you know, this was kind of made for me. as a Yeah, word. you're a politics guy. All right. Well, I also am going to talk about a podcast, which is one of my favorites. The Sci-Fi Sisters got Ira Stephen Bear on theirs. And it's so much fun to listen to. Not only does he cover some great Deep Space Nine stuff, he talks about Avery Brooks and things he did right and things he felt he didn't do right and why there shouldn't be a reunion which was, I thought, thoughtful. But he also talked about the show Fame, which I watched as a kid and loved, and he worked on. And in fact, it inspired that whole baseball episode of Deep Space Nine. It was based on a Fame episode. But look, anytime you can get someone talking about Fame, I was like, I would have listened to a whole podcast just about that. But then all the Deep Space Nine stuff is great. So uh, definitely recommend that, and we'll put a link to it up on the site. Cool. I'll check it out. I've always enjoyed my chats with Ira. So he's he's a great guest. He's good in his, I would say his guard was down and he was just comfortable having a nice conversation with him. So that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week with episode three. Spoiler alert, time travel. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> <laughs>